At the intersection of ideas and action, this is Longitude Soundbites, where we bring innovative insights from around the world directly to you. I'm Laurel Chen, Longitude Fellow from Rice University. Welcome to our Longitudes of Imagination series, where we are exploring the roles of individuals, technologies, and research that is helping advance understanding in ocean science and space technology. In this series, we spoke with members of the Sanct Sound Project that is managed by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the U.S. Navy. It is a project to better understand underwater sounds within the U.S. National Marine Sanctuaries. In today's episode, we are featuring highlights from a conversation I led with Ms. Lindsay P.V. Reeves, a West Coast Region Sanctuary Soundscape Monitoring Project Coordinator at National Marine Sanctuary Foundation in California. As a fellow and biomedical engineer by training, I was interested to hear about the synergistic intersection between our work, which is grounded by high technicality. But I was also interested in hearing about what the Sank Sound project was and the impacts that humans and infrastructure had on the ocean. We started our conversation with a deeper dive into her current position, as well as what her role entailed. I am the Sanctuary Soundscape Monitoring Coordinator for the West Coast of the United States. So I actually work for the Office of National Marine Sanctuaries, which is housed under NOAA. And I am on staff at the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation. So it's a little complicated, but it's through an MOU, a financial agreement that um, this government office has with the Sanctuary Foundation, which is hugely beneficial in lots of ways. So one of those ways is that they can hire staff to do these specialized roles, which is what I'm doing on the West Coast. So I'm based in Santa Barbara, California, but I work really closely with all of the five sanctuaries on the West Coast of the U.S. So from the Canadian border, the Olympic Coast National Marine Sanctuary, down through California. So we have the Greater Farallon Sanctuary, the Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, and then Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary. So I work really closely with those five sanctuaries to monitor underwater sound in and around the sanctuary. So we work with a a really large network of partners to accomplish this because it's a really large undertaking. So it's hard for us to do solely as one organization. Um, So we, we work across a lot of different organizations we had over 50 individuals that were a part of that project. So over 20 different organizations. So that's kind of the magnitude um, when I'm talking about partnerships. It's it's quite large, both on the, you know, coming up with the resources to make it happen, but also the implementation of it as well. But what do I do in particular? Mostly it's coordination. So I do jump on boats a lot and do a lot of the field work myself. You know, as I said, I'm based in Santa Barbara, California. So Channel Islands is in my backyard and easy for me to access and to to help out with field work. But some of those sanctuaries I mentioned are, are quite far away. And so what I do is work with the staff and the partners that are in those local areas and we coordinate the vessel time, getting all the gear in the right place at the right time, um, in and out of the water, and just making sure that we're trying to collect data as continuously as possible. 
And then I also work with a team of analysts that are also scattered all around um, the West Coast and even beyond that, that are really focused on working with the data once it comes out of the water. So we have all of these standardized procedures that um, we use across the entire national network of um, our sound monitoring project. Our West Coast team of analysts uses those procedures to process the data and come up with standardized data products. Um, So things like sound levels over time where we might tease out a specific sound source that we're interested in, like humpback whale calls or fish chorusing, snapping shrimp sounds, things like that. I do a lot of the coordination of the fieldwork, data collection, and then the data processing. And then we also have this parallel process that we feed our data products in, and that's the archive of the raw data and the data products. And this is what makes this project really impactful because we have open access to our methods, but also our results. One of the most challenging but rewarding things that I do is bridging the science that we're producing to the management applications and and how we're actually going to solve some of these conservation problems. And some of that is producing peer review publications or contributing to them, working with the academic community. And then some of that is really just working with our staff at the state and federal levels um, to try to better manage our marine protected areas and our protected resources. Thank you so much for that really comprehensive rundown, Lindsay. I, when I was hearing you talk, I was just, I felt so empowered by just how broad your work and this organization reaches. Uh, it, it seems to be not only science related, but there's a lot of social and, and governance um, related things with it as well. And so to me, that makes me really happy. I studied engineering in college, but I really this year was the only year where I actually got to branch out, take a few more humanities courses. This makes me really happy that to hear what you're working on right now and kind of like this bigger position and role really uh, brings a lot of people together and a lot of people in different specialties to really kind of create this richer understanding of something. And it's open access as well, which is something that I really think was super cool because now everyone can access it if they want to and learn more about not just Think Sound, but also the other projects that you have been working on too. So that's super cool. You kind of touched on this a little bit, but I was actually really curious to hear what you loved most about the Sync Sound project. Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things I love about Soundscape monitoring just as a discipline um, is that it's holistic. And so you actually just gave um, a good description of how it's holistic and like, our approach to it, you know, with needing to work with people and building relationships and trust and expertise and all of that. Um, But from a scientific aspect, I love that it's holistic and that we're looking at like entire ecosystems and how they're functioning. In our case, we're doing stationary monitoring mostly. And so we're looking at, you know, really intensely at one place, but over time, you know, we're listening to all of the different sounds that are happening in concert, the biological sounds, you know, fish, snapping shrimp, whales, all of the the fun critters that, you know, we kind of think about when we think of um, marine ecosystems, but also the biophysical sounds that, you know, we might not think 
are noisy, but they actually can be quite noisy at times, like tides and currents, wind and waves, earthquakes, things like that, hurricanes. So we're listening to all of those things happening at the same time you know, rainstorms passing by at the same time that dolphins are, you know, chatting it up. Um, And then also anthropogenic sound. So all of the things that humans are doing, all the human activities that are happening in these coastal areas, in our case, in these natural marine sanctuaries, we do have some remote ones, but on the West Coast, we, we have quite a few that are, have, you know, strongholds in the coastal regions. So we have, you know, military activities happening. We have vessel traffic, whether it's large commercial tankers or fishing vessels or recreational vessels, dive boats, things like that, kayaks. I mean, all kinds of ways that we are accessing these spaces now. And so we're able to listen to all of those things happening at the same time. And I think that's really powerful and one of the things that I like most about this project because we can really tease apart each one of those things individually because we do have such amazingly smart people working on this project that can do things like artificial intelligence and use these automated techniques to draw out specific sound sources like if we just want to listen to killer whales um, we can do that Um, so if if an event happens we can detect that you know, and, and so we can detect an, a disturbance to the ecosystem. I, I just love that we have that capability and that power in this holistic sampling approach. I also think that underwater sound in general is very relatable to people. We use sound, you know, most people who are able to hear really value that sense, you know, and they, they mm-hmm. can really relate to how important it is for an underwater organism to thrive and to really succeed in reproduction and communication and their social activities. So I think we have a real benefit with underwater sound and being able to to translate what we're learning and why it's important to people. So I love that. I guess switching gears, like how did you develop interest in this field, whether it be marine science or just soundscaping? What was your pathway that you traversed from point A all the way to today? How much time do we have? No, (laughs) just kidding. When I was in school, one of my basketball coaches was a science teacher and she was one of my mentors and she suggested that I do some science camps over the summer. I was mostly doing (laughs) uh, sports camps. I was like, oh, that sounds fun. You know, I'll do something a little different. Um, She's really the one who got me into this marine science camp in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. It's called Science at Sea. You might be familiar with this organization because now they've grown and they do college programs and experiential learning programs, which was sort of my first experience doing that hands-on type of learning. I spent 10 days on the campus and then we spent 10 days on a schooner, a type of sailboat, putting everything that we had just learned in the classroom into practice. And so that was my first really like aha moment. And there was a female oceanographer who was leading that part of our program and her name was Cheryl Peach. I'll never forget her because I was always like, wait, you can get paid to explore the ocean and learn new things and go places people have never been before and like pull things up out of the ocean and just see what's under there. It was just so like, well, I want to do this. Of course I want to do this. Yeah. And it was really empowering for me to see this 
professor being the the person in charge, you know, on this boat and everyone just kind of following her lead. And so I was just like, yeah, I want to do that. This, this sounds cool. So that was my first time that I fell in love, I guess, with marine science as a, as a career. I really never lost that love for the, the whole science of the ocean and just exploration. And so I um, studied marine science. And then after school, I I moved to California, didn't know anybody, didn't have a job at the time, but I moved to San Diego and I just, I thought I wanted to pursue marine conservation, um, but I wasn't sure. Got some uh, really awesome experience working in grassroots conservation, community conservation, really met some amazing people from fishermen to community members to these like amazing marine conservationists that are traveling the world. And that's when I first started working with the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Administration. From then, I went to Duke University and studied coastal environmental management. And that's actually where I first started learning about bioacoustics. I got to jump on some Antarctic research programs where they, you know, they were going down for two months at a time on these research vessels. And I was brought onto the project because I had spent so much time at sea at that point. And I had a lot of experience doing visual observations, being able to, to spot different types of wildlife, whether turtles, birds, mammals, and then identify them. And that's just one way that you can kind of start doing um, population assessments. That's why I was brought onto the project. But once I was there, I was just a sponge and wanted to do everything. And so I started working with some of uh, my colleagues on that project who were bioacousticians. And so I really just kind of dove headfirst and learned the ropes from them and then just kind of fell in love with bioacoustics as well. Thank you so much. That was such a whirlwind, but I really appreciate like you really traced us through everything. And I think you were also able to do such a really cool project like Antarctica. That's crazy. Segwaying more into Sank Sound as a project now, Firstly, I was wondering if you could summarize Sync Sound in a few sentences to a layperson. And then also, what would be kind of like your big take-home message or what is this driving significance of the project? So Sync Sound began in 2017, but we didn't start um, actually putting sound recorders underwater until 2018 and 2019 in our sanctuary system in the United States. What the project aims to do is to monitor in as many locations as we can. And so in our case, we were able to monitor in 30 different stationary monitoring locations across the sanctuary system. So in US waters and territories, trying to establish baseline understanding of underwater soundscapes. We're looking at the holistic soundscape. So all of the sounds that are happening at the same time. And in our case, since we're listening in 30 stationary locations, we want to establish baseline understanding in those locations. What's the average sound levels? How noisy or quiet is it usually in the fall, in the spring, in the summer, in the winter? And what are the specific noise inputs that are common there? So 
maybe it's common to have, you know, lots of biophysical sounds, lots of storms passing through or different, you know, tidal flows, things like that. We want to understand the biologics that are normally there. And in some cases, you know, we have different animals that are migratory. So they might be present during some parts of the year and not during others. And so we want to understand what are those typical um, patterns of biological activity that we can record with our underwater microphones called hydrophones. We're also at the same time recording temperature. So we're, we are trying to understand the environmental conditions as well. And then again, we're trying to understand what are the human inputs of sound because um, we want to have an understanding of, okay, what's the current level of what we might consider noise pollution? You know, what's the current vessel activity. And in some of our monitoring sites, they're very near ports and, and busy harbors. And so we would expect to have sort of the steady stream of vessel activity that we can record. Um, and we can also monitor vessels in other ways too. And so we can integrate all of these different types of data that are coming in. And then we want to also understand more of the transient sounds, things that are only happening periodically, like maybe military testing that's happening underwater. That's the um, holistic sampling that we're doing with Sync Sound, and we're trying to establish those baselines. So, you know, across a three-year period, in this case, we want to understand what is the typical or the average soundscape in these locations particularly so we can understand disturbance. So if there's a, an event that happens that would disrupt, you know, that average soundscape, we want to be able to understand that. And so I'll give you a great example that everyone will be able to relate to, and that's the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, COVID affected literally everything in our lives, but especially ship traffic. You know, it rocked the international economy and it really influenced how goods were being moved by ships across these large waterways. We had an acoustic signature of that disruption in our records. And we were able to record the reduction in noise input from vessels at these locations that typically would have um, the higher inputs of the vessel traffic noise. I think the example that you gave with COVID-19, I guess I learned today that COVID-19 did impact us, but also in another way towards sea life and ocean life. So that was super cool. I, I actually didn't think of that uh, being such an impactful use case of all of these soundscaping applications. Yeah, COVID was quite the bummer for humans, but marine well, life might have gotten a little reprieve. Yeah, marine yeah. life might have gotten a reprieve from the noise pollution. Yeah, for sure. Based on your experience of just, you know, working in this field or just in ocean science in general, what do you think really propels innovation um, in this field? I think that it's just we have a lot of problems that we have to solve. And I think yeah. some of the problems are really big and it really requires a lot of creative and talented and smart people to come together to think outside of the box to come up with innovative ways to approach problems. We have a lot of what you would call wicked problems that don't seem like they have um, a straightforward solution or even any solution at all, but there really are ways to get win-win 
solutions. You know, maybe it's not going to be one part of the puzzle is winning the whole game, you know, it's going to be like a complete success story, but there's ways that we can improve livelihoods and um, conservation status of species and people's connection with the ocean, the climate situation. You know, there's ways that we can improve all of these things at the same time. That I think is what really inspires innovation because it is a necessity. Yeah. We need to think outside of the box and approach things from a different angle. Absolutely. And I'm hoping that my generation hopefully has some good ideas in regards to all of those issues or the wicked issues too that you've mentioned. So I have lots yeah. of hope. <laughs> um, that innovation stuff we just talked about is what gives me a lot of hope because I think we do have so many tools now that we can draw from to come up with those solutions to these wicked problems. I think that putting a lot of effort um, into sustainability is what really is interesting to me. So I do try to couch a lot of the things that I work on in my, in my job and in my role into like a larger vision of sustainability. And I know a lot of my peers do as well. So we we're sort of always on the same wavelength in that, but I'm always trying to kind of think into the future and like, how is this going to work towards this common sustainability goal that I think we have across sectors, you know, of course, economies want to be sustained just as much as we want to sustain ocean life and the health of, of our ecosystems. And so we have commonalities there. We have common ground. That's been really motivating for me. I just always want to be working towards making things better for the next generation. Talking with Lindsay, I realized how far her work had reached, from the Channel Islands in Santa Barbara, California, to the sanctuaries all along the Pacific West Coast, stretching even up to Canada. I was amazed to hear that ocean fieldwork amassed large amounts of data that were open access, which is really hard to find these days. When Lindsay told me about how holistic soundscape monitoring was, from snapping shrimp to biophysical sounds like wind and waves, tides and currents, to even sounds of human vessel activity, I became inspired by how applicable all this data is to humans. I also found it quite interesting that the COVID-19 pandemic even impacted the ocean due to lower ship traffic, generating acoustic signatures for future soundscapers. As Lindsay mentioned, we use sound, and it's very relatable to people. Harnessing technology to be able to translate underwater sounds to the public makes me very hopeful that we can pay it forward for the next generation of explorers. We hope you enjoyed today's segment. Please feel free to share your thoughts over social media and visit longitude.site for the episode transcript. Join us next time for more unique insights on longitude sound bites.